0: to Locked on Bucks. I'm not sure it's an emergency pod. We were going to record at this point anyways. So, I mean, technically a trade happens, so I can kind of say emergency pod, but I'm not 100% sure that it is actually an emergency pod. Uh, I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks writer at The Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of brewhoop.com, Frank Madden. And tonight we are going to discuss the Milwaukee Bucks Moving the 30th pick of the draft and Tony Snell and taking in John Lure from the Detroit Pistons. And I mean, I guess those are the details of it. And I guess the Frank, this is going to be a Frank heavy episode because we're going to have to go through a lot of cap stuff. Um, but I guess just kind of the. The nitty gritty of all of this is uh, the Bucks shave off two point one million off their cap for this summer, uh, or for the twenty nineteen season. So two point one million uh, from switching in Lures contract for Snell's contract. Uh, Lures contract is only this year left. Uh, Snell's contract was this year and next year. So. It's $2.1 million off their cap this summer, then $12.4 million off their 2020 cap. And with this year's cap, you also have to take off some of the money for the first-round pick, but not all of the money, as Frank will explain here shortly, um, why you can't take off all of the money uh, of the first-round pick because you have to have a different cap hold in there. It's all a little bit convoluted, but Frank is... Very good at explaining this, uh, so he can help kind of break that down. But essentially, they traded one year of John Lewis' contract for two years of Tony Snell's contract, uh, and they went in there and gave up a first round pick to do so. So that's, I think the, I guess the the simplest way to kind of put all of it. Um, essentially, what you're looking at is the Bucks making the pick for the Pistons tomorrow night. It'll have to. Uh, there'll have to be a charade of, you know, a player throwing a Bucks draft hat on tomorrow night and knowing full well that he's going to Detroit, but that will, that'll be what happens with the 30th pick there. So tonight we'll not be discussing anything about who the Bucs might pick because, well, the Bucs won't be making that pick. Now they could possibly buy a second round pick. Um, I don't know if that's incredibly likely, um, but that's it's certainly a possibility uh so that could happen but it should be a quieter draft night and the bucks got some of their work out of the way uh now so i guess frank uh initial reaction to to hearing the trade i know when i first heard it i thought huh i would have thought that next year was the priority as far as, as creating cap space but you know looking at it i think there's there's, there's an impact for this summer for sure. Um, and, and maybe that impact grows even larger if they decide to, to stretch John Lure and, and create even more cap space. So I guess just kind of what went through your head when you first saw it.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, these types of deals are never, you know, exciting, right? Because (laughs) by definition, they are deals to set up something to come in the future. And you just hope that obviously what is set up by this is, is worthwhile. and, you know, whether it's this move, whether it's Chris Middleton, Malcolm Brogdon, whatever. um, I think ultimately, you know, we're at the point now with the Bucks where, you know, the ultimate, the ultimate validation of what they're doing is going to be, did you win a championship or not? Right. I mean, um, you know, and, and, and that's, again, like, I, I think it's important to be very like kind of process oriented and, and sort of think about it from like a, you know, okay, does this move you closer to competing for a championship or further away from it? And, you know, again, sometimes things are going to not go your way. You know, the Nik- Nikola Mirotic trade, we both lauded when it happened, and it didn't work out. Couldn't make shots when the Bucks needed him to in the playoffs. And so, you know, on the one hand, I think it failed miserably because <laughs> you lost a bunch of second-round picks for a guy who ultimately couldn't help you, you know, when you needed him most. Um but I don't blame the Bucks for going for it. You know, I mean, a year ago Nikola Mirotic was a a playoff hero for for the Pelicans, and he's generally been a very good player. So, um, you know, a move like this, I think, is sobering in the sense that it reminds you that um, it's 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 now a really difficult time to balance salaries and flexibility, and you know, having to eat another um, asset in order to get rid of salary that you, you know, that was signed previously ain't good, right? I mean, we've now seen, uh, John Henson, Matthew Delvadova and Tony Snell basically, you know, have mulligans taken out for, um, previous contracts signed, right? Uh, Delvedova and Henson under the Hammond regime. And, uh, John Horst was, uh, his first Yes, yeah. John Horst had just just started when yep. um, when Tony Snell got signed. So um, you know, ultimately obviously it's that's not very satisfying that, that you ultimately had to eat those contracts. And um, especially with Tony, I mean Tony's a guy who can play. He played every game up until he got hurt this year, and obviously he wasn't a starter, he had lost that to Malcolm Brogdon, but um, you know, he's still a guy who can who can contribute absolutely, especially on this team with the way they like to play. So um to have to give up an asset in order to you know get cap flexibility while giving up a player who you know it's not like snell hurts you when you know if he's a part of your rotation so i mean that's i think just fundamentally frustrating you could have said similar things obviously about urson right if you had, had to use um you know a pick to move urson's salary i mean you know obviously like we have not been huge urson fans but he's still a useful basketball player and we assumed as much when he signed last summer and we thought it was not a great, not a great
0: deal. Um, well, I mean, this is 1201 on back-to-back summers, right? Like the two guys that we were talking about the yeah. Last yeah, right. was 1201 the last two summers. Uh, Tony Snell signed in that situation at 1201 two years ago and Ursan last summer. And I mean, I think at the time, both of us said like, yeah, that's too much money for both of those guys. And I think Ursan maybe we, talked about the idea that okay maybe it wasn't too much money for urson but too many years for urson and you know just kind of the idea that at 1201 that that was the deal that you wanted to sign and now both of those contracts are the ones that you know the bucks are are trying to find a way off of and eventually obviously tonight gave up a first round pick to do so Yeah.
1: And I think what was, I mean, I think the interesting layer to this trade is that I think we were obviously looking at through the lens of trying to get off those contracts this summer. So, you know, trying to make moves that wipe those contracts off the books this summer. Instead, the lure trade is, is a little bit different than maybe what we expected. But, you know, I think also consistent with the fact that we didn't think anybody was going to eat, you know, whatever it was, for a million of Tony Snell's salary and not Not ship anything back, you know, bad contract wise, just for the thirtieth pick, right? That that would have seemed
0: it's not that good of an asset,
1: unless you really, really, really like Tony Snell, and obviously nobody ultimately did um, like him enough to uh, to take to take that salary. Um, You know that that seemed unlikely. So I mean, I'm I think it's it's kind of makes sense that you know if the the fact that they did trade him that way was for a situation like this, where you're taking on a guy who has, you know uh one year rather than two years left on his contract and so you know essentially you're you know you're slashing whatever it ends up being 14 15 million in in sort of net uh salary obligations um and it also means that you know you do have if worse comes to worse or you have an opportunity to you know where you want to open up more cap space uh you know either you want to open up more cap space in the short term or at the end of the summer you are in cap hell and over the luxury tax and you want to you know, figure out a way how you get under it. Um, you know, the last t- the last date to stretch guys for an upcoming season when guys have one year left is uh, is end of August. So you know that's when the Spencer Hawes move was made, and obviously, you wish that you had would have more time to <laughs> to make that call uh, because a lot of things can happen. Um, but we'll we'll see. I mean, I think if they uh, you know if, if lure gets waived um, in the sh- in the next you know two weeks, it's presumably gonna be to facilitate some other type of signing, uh, versus if he's kept and then uh stretched, you know, in August, it's basically just gonna be a a tax avoidance type move. So um so anyway, so a lot of things that can happen. I don't think this was done because they think John Law is some guy who can really help them. Um although, you know, the flip side is obviously if you if there is a scenario where he does stick around, um you know, I guess he could th- fill some of the Nikola Miritich role, Nikola Miritich minutes. You know, I don't think he's going to play over DJ Wilson, but he could be your, I guess, what fifth big man if you bring back Ursan and uh, and Lopez or or whatever. So,
0: so he doesn't have a role.
1: No, I don't. I don't think this was about John lure I, I, you know, I know it's you know pretty standard, right? I mean, you know, even did it last last spring, right when the the last time the Pistons made a deal with the Bucks, we all start thinking like, hey, well, what's what's Stanley Johnson's role, right? And then. Obviously, he that deal ended up being more complicated. I don't, I don't foresee that happening with this trade. I think this is probably just the trade. Um, but uh, you know, John Lur may not be around long. Even if he's not traded, he might just get stretched pretty soon. So, um, so anyway, um, I think, yeah. So I think it's again. Um, I think the net net of this is, um, you know, I think we were we were trying to kind of quick do the math. It looks like with Lore on the books. Buck should have around 12.6 million in cap room, assuming they keep the Middleton and Brogdon cap holds, and assuming they renounce Nikola Miritich. If they don't renounce Nikola Mirotic, they'd have no cap room, uh, and you'd be in you know a position where you, you could still potentially bring Brook Lopez back on like a mid-level deal, um, but that's essentially you know the extent of your your space. Um, and uh, you know, again, I don't. There's a million different permutations we could see at this point, but with lore, assuming Miritic, you know, assuming they want more money to to use potentially on on Brook Lopez, you could open up 12.6 million in cap space by uh, by you know essentially just sort of renouncing Miritic and buying out George Hill, of course, um, for the one million that's that's owed him um, out of the 18 million that that he nominally is on the books for next year. Um, part of that you alluded to it is even though you also lose the $2 million cap hold associated with the first round pick because you're under 12 roster spots, there's these things called roster charges. Um, So when you're calculating cap space, you essentially, if you're under 12, either players under contract or uh, like first round pick holds or um, players with cap holds. So free agent cap holds um, you have to essentially take minimum roster charges for those empty slots. So, um, I think right now, for instance, if assuming that, you know, Hill is, is waived, I think the bucks were at like 10, 10 roster, uh, spots or 10, um, 10 roster charges. And so to get the extra two, you essentially just add two minimum level, uh, roster charges, which is about $900,000 for each this year. So that negates some of the, um, you know, cap space that you would otherwise have if you didn't have that little.
0: And so, so like some people, I know a couple people have tweeted out as around like 14.1, but really it's about 12.6, right? Like that's...
1: I Yeah, I, I believe so. And normally I think Bobby Marks and others have tweeted the 14 million. I don't think that is correct. I think it's 12.6, um, but I, I'm just, I've already kind of moved so many things around in my spreadsheet that (laughs) if I was wrong, I would not be shocked. Okay. So so anyway,
0: I guess where I'll start is um, I think the first thing I thought when I saw the trade was, okay, so this is more about next year. uh, But that was my first tweet. And my second tweet about it in, in my two tweet thread was like, that isn't nothing though. And I think one thing that, this trade in moving off such, I don't want to say a small number because I don't want to make it seem so insignificant. But moving off two point one for this this off season, it is something. It matters, yeah. and it, it does matter. And if, if you are clawing for every dollar in in a number of these negotiations, like okay, so. Maybe Brooke wasn't ready to come back for the, the mid level exception, or Brooke wasn't willing to come back for however much space the Bucks had, which had been right around 10 million. Okay, maybe Brooke is willing to come back for 12 million a year, or how deals are, are typically fru- structured, where it's going to increase as it goes on. Maybe that means you're you're closer to thirteen million dollars a year, or fourteen million dollars a year, or whatever it may be. That in the first year looks more like twelve million, or twelve and a half million, and then you can fit that right. Like so, I do think in my mind, I just kept thinking about that second year, but really that first year, like we have no idea exactly what it is. But if you're looking at the players that are free agents. There was one guy that the Bucs don't have rights on. There was one guy that the Bucs had to create space for, and that was Brooke Lopez. And I, I, part of me has to say, like, okay, if they did go out and create at least that much space this year, maybe there was a reason. And maybe it was to try to find a little bit more for Brooke Lopez. And Lopez and the negotiations around Lopez have been, I think, the quietest of any of the Bucks' major three free agents. So obviously, in the last couple of days, we've heard stuff about Chris Middleton leak out. And, uh, you know, like we've heard Malcolm Brogdon connected to a couple different teams. Like those two have been a little bit more public while Brooke Lopez has, has, has not been in those same ways. So we don't really have any sort of idea. But that was... So the first thought was, oh, okay, next year's cap is getting a little bit more help. But the second thought was, oh, that... That little bit of money, again, it's not a huge number, but it could be enough to swing in a deal for brooke Lopez, where you know you're able to, you know, maybe it, if it's a four year deal, you're able to commit to him a little bit longer, or if it's a it's a one year deal, you're able to give a little a little bit more money in this year, like whatever it may be, like you're able to to work around that and and find a way to give him some more money.
1: Yeah, and this is this is kind of one of the interesting things, right? Like with Brooke, we've sort of there's been this sort of inherent limit on what the Bucks could pay him just because they would need either cap space or, you know, an exception to, to, to pay him. So we haven't really had to think about like even the possibility of overpaying Brooke Lopez. (laughs) Cause like, it was like, well, either he takes this number, which is a lot less than he's worth to this team or he doesn't. Right. Um, And hopefully he does. Um, But the interesting thing now is, you know, you add a couple million in, cap flexibility to go from you know 10 to, to 12 and change um now you can start paying especially over four years now you can start to pay him kind of like bigger numbers and you know the flip side of that is that if Brooke just you know if you if you open up more flexibility and then just end up using that to just pay brook Brooke more um it doesn't really help you know <laughs> again like relative to the scenario where brooks takes brook takes 10 million it's not like just opening up a room and then spending an extra 2 million it's not like that really helps you you know duck the luxury tax it doesn't help you get more cap room it's literally just paying brooke more right which again for if you're brooke like i mean i don't blame brooke's agent or anybody right like they should be trying to get more money because brooke i think was worth it this year for the bucks um but it is sort of an interesting dynamic because you know this move might ultimately just Subsidize the next Brook Lopez contract more so than anything else, mm-hmm. um, and so that's that's something to keep in mind. Like some of these moves that you hear talked, or some of the num- numbers you hear talked about. Like, for instance, I mean, you know, Chris Middleton. There's a lot of been a lot of speculation in the last 24 hours about Middleton. Is he going to take a fifth year in Milwaukee, but maybe start at less than a max contract in that scenario? Um, you know, some of these things provide the Bucks more cap flexibility this year, and some of them are just like pure tax things like chris chris signing for less than the max like doesn't impact the bucks like ability to sign other guys with cap space because you're gonna have to sign him last anyway because he has a much smaller cap hold at 19 million than he does whatever he's gonna get paid right so what brook what um chris signs for is gonna matter for the tax calculation at the end of the day but it doesn't really matter what the bucks you know unless you just renounce chris right which we know isn't going to happen unless something completely bizarre happens um so anyway this stuff is, i think the tldr is the stuff is complicated but yes the bucks got more flexibility most likely to keep brooke lopez i would say through this move
0: and, and that's without I, stretching lure like we're going to talk about stretching
1: the right in a second, right but and that's, that's, that's without a stretch of lure right and that's the other piece of this and again i you have to be very careful with stretches because i mean look at the Bucks. i'm have, not a fan period like
0: look, I'm, I'm i'm not a fan larry sanders is getting paid till 2021 because of a stretch and that um
1: you know and and the books also are getting hit by spencer haas one more year right this year is the last year of the spencer haas yep. deal um at two million and so larry and spencer haas together four million bucks right it's very real money now Significant. sanders i would argue i mean and and 21 22 technically eric so sorry it's it's the the, the long larry sanders nightmares is, is still uh had three more years to go on it but um But, uh, I mean, the irony is with Sanders, it's like, well, Jesus, like considering all the shit that went down with that, like, I think the bucks were actually lucky, (laughs) lucky to get away with that one. Um, you know, what they owe, they owed over double, I think almost three times what they ended up giving him something like that. So, um, but the Hosman obviously was, was frustrating because it was like, you know, they did it, they stretched him early and I could understand again, the risk aversity If you're demanded by your owners to avoid the tax that, you know, again, like it's not like GM's like are the ones who like really want to avoid the tax. That's more of an ownership thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's frustrating because now that's that's still hanging on your cap. Um, but but yeah, the the interesting thing is like you know they were never going to stretch Tony Snell because to do that, since he had two years left, that would have been you know stretching twenty four million over five years. So again, you could have saved probably like a similar dollar amount as what you could with Lure this year. But that would have hung on your cap for another four years after this um, versus if you were to stretch lure, essentially you're taking that nine point. And I think um, I just was reading he has a 200K incentive for some wins, um, some wins uh, target. And so because the bucks are good, he'll now that will become a likely incentive. So he's, he'll probably be at like 9.7, something like that. But yeah. anyway, um, if you did stretch lore, basically you'd, you'd owe, you know, 3.2, 3.3 this year. And then the remainder would be stretched over the next two years. So you would have that hanging over you the next couple of years. Um, But again, like, you know, uh, you know, if you're the Bucks, I mean, you kind of get, you know, teams get kind of stuck in this, you know, always living for today um, and trying to avoid the tax today and kind of punting stuff down the road and, you know, pay me now or pay me later. It's, that's quite literally what this is. Um, And again, I think for the Bucks, you know, the trade-offs make a lot more sense now than they did a year two years ago, just because they, they games. do have a chance to compete. Yeah. They, they can compete for a championship. Um, but, but it is interesting this year with Lord just cause there is obviously it's, it's less, less horrendous to stretch John Laura than it is, <laughs> it's Tony Snell. Um, but that said, like, I am in no way saying that you should be excited or even, you know, even like you know i mean again like this stuff like if you don't think they should stretch lore i mean ultimately again like it all comes down to what they why they do that and what they get out of it and um do you want to do you want to tackle that scenario and just sort of talk about sure. what that would mean
0: um okay so like you said it will be about 12.6 million uh in space right I, I think if if the bucks just do everything as is and kind of Kind of create that space for for brooke lopez uh here at the start of free agency if they opt to stretch john lure that 12.6 turns into roughly 18 million and when i say 18 million that's when bucks fans get excited and they say well al horford just opted out why don't we uh renounce brooke lopez go get al horford and and I get it. Like all, all those bigger name possibilities are are really what everyone wants to talk about. But I've, I tried to preach this in the the Q and a that I did at the athletic today. I've tried to preach this on Twitter. Um, This is not to me, this is not an off season to let your imagination run wild. It is an off season to be very practical and figure out how you can bring back all of the guys that, led you to 60 wins, that led you to two wins from the NBA finals, that led you to the best season you've probably ever seen as a fan. And I I would say this year was better than the 2001 Eastern Conference finals year. So for just about anyone listening to this podcast, better than anything you've ever had before. That's what you should be focused on. Not, Not thinking about all these ways that you could change everything and fix everything and make the bucks better and somehow make them a team that's guaranteed to win a championship because one that doesn't exist 2 you're chasing something that is just so unlikely that appreciate what you have and figure out how to get it back because that's how the bucks are going to are going to approach this off season. And again, that's boring. That's not exciting. That doesn't let you dream up all, all these different scenarios and look through the top 20 free agents to possibly sign lists. Like I understand it, it's boring, but that's, to me, what makes the most sense for the Bucks this, this offseason. And that's how we're going to approach it on this podcast. So um, I'm sorry. Maybe we can run through some fantastical scenarios uh, in the week after the draft and before free agency begins. But for now... I want to look at it from the perspective of, okay, so if, if you get the $12.6 million of space with lure on the roster, you sign Brooke up there. uh, So you're able to get that little bit more extra room with Brooke. Then obviously you're going to go out and do what you need to do to retain Chris Middleton. And then you're going to do what you need to do uh, in matching, whatever Malcolm Brogdon gets. And you manage to maintain and, or excuse me, to retain your big three. Now, where this gets more interesting is if you stretch John Lure, you create about $18 million. So you have $18 million to use uh, in cap space. Let's say you're going to use that same 12.6-ish, whatever that may be, to retain Brook Lopez. You then open up about $5 million in cap space. And... I guess I'll let you kind of explain why this is exciting because in the first scenario we laid out, you know, you're probably going to try to get George Hill to use an exception uh, and try to retain him that way or find a different veteran point guard. But essentially you've, you've created an extra slot for a role player. So instead of being able to bring just back George Hill, it's George Hill and another role player. And that's, that's where this gets exciting you can go into more details of it, but I think that's like the easiest way to try to explain kind of what can happen if you do stretch John Lure And again, maybe John Lure is that role player that you want, but I can't imagine there's anyone out there that actually wants John Lure to be that role player. So we're going to talk about this scenario.
1: Careful. We are in Wisconsin and he is
0: a badger. That's fair. So, that's fair.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, and keep in mind, so uh, we talk a lot about the mid-level exception, things like that. So As soon as we start talking about scenarios where you're creating cap space, meaning you essentially you can create more than the mid-level exception is really what we're saying when we can create create cap space, then in those scenarios, I mean, every team essentially like quote unquote gets the mid-level exception, but essentially if you can create more space without it, then essentially you lose the mid-level exception. However, uh, if you create, let's say whether it's 12.6 or 18 million in cap space, you can spend that money. Now you cannot then go out and spend another nine point two million ish, which is roughly what we expect the mid level to be. You don't have that available to you, so you can't go spend another nine million on, on other players. However, um, if you have twelve million or eighteen, you can go spend that on you know Brooke Lopez or Brooke Lopez and somebody else, right? Like if you had eighteen, perhaps you could get both Brooke and George Hill back for that money or George George, you know, or George Hill replacement plus Brooke. Um, and then the interesting thing is if you created cap space and use cap space and, you know, basically we're a cap space team, you will still have the what's called the room mid-level exception. And we talk about that sometimes, but it's a, basically a smaller exception that you don't need to have, uh, you know, essentially that you keep, you know. So the the um, mid-level exception you lose when you have cap space and the biennial exception, which the Bucks don't have anyway because they used it on Brook Lopez last year and you only get it once every year. One, you know, basically once per two years essentially to use it. So if you use it one biannual. year, yeah, you can't use it the next year, hence biannual. Um so they weren't gonna have that anyway. So there's a scenario where if the buck stretch lore and timing becomes super important on this because you would have
0: to Just talk it through talk it through first what okay. it means and then we'll talk about all the okay. timing.
1: Okay, I mean. so there is at least and again it's late at night and we've been bashing our heads against this, but I think there is at least a scenario where you could stretch John Lore and then have, you know, if you get Brooke for 12 million or something like that, you would still have basically another chunk of money in cap space to go sign a veteran, George Hill, whoever. And then you'd still have this room mid-level exception, which I think this year is around 4.8 million, to then keep in your back pocket and potentially use even after all your cap space has been used up and you sign all your guys and all those numbers go into effect. Now Probably the biggest challenge at that point is that even if you've stretched lore and gotten hit, you know, two thirds of his salary off of your cap number and tax number for this year, you still have a lot of money tied up (laughs) in your roster. So like Eric and I, you know, we just did a quick exercise of like what might the bucks cap look like after all this. And we just put in for placeholders. We put in 12 for Brooke. We put in 30 for Chris. Again, this is assuming a scenario where he takes some discount to get an extra year. We don't know if that's going to happen. Um, so this number could be 32.7 is the biggest number you could get this year, assuming a 109 cap. Um, but let's assume he takes 30 and takes then raises to you know, get whatever, five years and something. Um, and then um, the flip side scenario, and then and then the other number is, is Brogdon. Um, and Brogdon, we put in 18 million as a placeholder. Okay, So basically you're committing... 30 plus 18 plus 12 that's 60 million for brook chris brogdon and then we just put in hill at 5 million as well and so if you do all that and then you add in two guys on rookie contract you know know, rookie minimum so against like again like just saying like random rookies maybe buy a second rounder maybe you sign a couple guys off the street or something whatever it might be you would be at $131,512,000, 131,512,000 which is precisely $488,000 under the luxury t- the projected luxury tax. <laughs> so <laughs> to give you guys an idea of what would be possible. Again, Nikola Mirotic is gone. I I, I find it very difficult to see him coming back um, in sort of the scenario that we've laid out with using cap space to sign Brook because you have to, to to have any of this cap space you need to renounce Nico. Um but if you do renounce Nico, there, there is a scenario here where you could keep Middleton, Hill, Brogdon, Lopez, and still have um, the $4.8 million room exception in your back pocket that you haven't used. Um, and so if you did that, then you would go over the tax, right? So there, you know, again, you'd have to get rid of like Ilya Silva, for instance, in order to, to get back under if you used uh, the, the room mid-level. But anyway, at least gives you guys hopefully a view of what this might add up to in terms of okay well like so the bucks are trying to do all these moves what does it add up to can they actually like standard the tax which is presumably what they're trying to do while still keeping most of these core guys from last year and the answer is other than miritich it seems like there's a path for doing that and you know you might still have even another and
0: those are even with big numbers i would say we we haven't i don't think we went conservative on no Middleton, Brogdon, and Lopez, like 60 million for those three with escalating contracts for all three, um, I think is, is pretty fair. Right. Like, I I don't think that's, that's crazy at all for, for what we did.
1: No, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, again, like we didn't put in a max for Middleton, which obviously would be the most conservative thing we do. Um, but Brogdon, I mean, 18 feels like that's a pretty high number for a starting salary for him. I certainly would would hope that his starting numbers is is lower. But also I think if he, if he signs an offer sheet with another team, I imagine that that team is going to put a, put, they're not going to put an X and they're not going to make an escalating contract. Most likely they're going to make sure they pay him as much money as possible in the first year to put, to make it harder for the bucks to match it without going over the tax. You know, they're going to, they're going to put in all the tricks in order to basically make it hard for the bucks. So, um, so yeah, so I think as we sort of kind of, um, Look, you know, kind of through all the smoke and, uh, and, and fog of, uh, of tonight's wheeling and dealing and what might come next, there is at least sort of the outline of, you know, again, like what this might mean and, and how that, you know, additional flexibility could potentially help you retain essentially the core of, uh, of the team that, that just won 60 games. And I, again, you, you were at the press conference today with, with John Horst. Certainly nothing he said today would make you think that um that you know there's anything different about about that than than what we've been assuming.
0: And uh, this is a good way to kind of end things. And we're we're about to go through just kind of how you have to sequence things and the intricacy of all this. But one of the questions John Horst started talking about, you know, this the The salary cap and how they're going to try to work with that. And, you know, I literally just asked the question, you know, speaking of the cap, are you willing to go into the luxury tax? And he he had a glass of water in front of him. So he was drinking the water. And typically my questions are a a bit more long winded. Um, So I think the fact that I had like a 10 word question kind of caught him by surprise. So he was like mid sip when I ended and he was still drinking uh, as he was uh, you know, as there was some silence and he joked real quick. He's like, Hey, that, that wasn't that sip, that long sip was not because of the question that was, uh, I was just taking a sip and everyone laughed and it was pretty good. It was pretty funny, pretty smooth. Uh, but then he said for us, there are a few things going on here. Mark and Wes and Jamie from the day they bought this team and committed to bringing a championship to Milwaukee. We from that day have committed to educating them on what that means. And often it means they have to have a willingness to invest in the team. And sometimes that means luxury tax." And really the luxury tax is just the point in salary where you start paying a premium on the dollars that you spent. And there's no reason to believe that this ownership group will not pay a premium on dollars spent if they're investing in something that can win and is sustainable over a long period of time. And the other thing we have going on is we were just the best team in the NBA for whatever seven out of nine months so we didn't win it ultimately at the end that's the goal but we're right there and to have that as a foundation that we're building from so you have a team that's really good that's competing at a really high level that all the metrics and all the things that lined up showed you have a team that can contend there's a strong willingness to invest in this group keep it together to run it back try to improve and build on where we were last year and i think that's that there's a lot of really interesting stuff in there. Um, one, obviously just the, the greater idea of the luxury tax. So that, that scenario that we just brought up where the bucks have the option to, okay, you can bring in two of the cheapest possible players, uh, rookie minimum guys, or you can use the room mid-level and go over the luxury tax. Um, that's a really interesting spot because the room mid-level 4.8 million for some player. We've seen how as free agency moves on, that could be a valuable player. the The Bucks signed the this year. The Bucks signed Brooke Lopez for 3.2. They signed Pat Connaughton for 1.7. That can be a that that can be a real player. So that's not something to to just gloss over. But that's going to if all of this goes down in this way that creates a really interesting spot for this Bucks team where they get the chance to decide between, all right, do we want to do one role player and you know, the, the one guy on a rookie minimum, or do we want to do two guys on a rookie minimum and stay underneath and outside of the luxury tax? That's a really interesting spot because most owners don't want to go into the luxury tax for that little bit. But is it that little bit? If it's an actual real role player that could make an impact on your team, it's a, Fascinating question. Um, and one that, you know, I think is going to kind of tell us a little bit about this ownership group and, and kind of where they're at and what they're thinking about. Another thing that I find is fascinating the use of the word education, of educating. Uh, we from that day have committed to educating them on what that means. And often it means they have to have a willingness to invest in the team. And sometimes that means a luxury tax. Educating them, I thought was fascinating because you know we look around the entire league and you see all of these spots where owners no matter who it is just aren't willing to pay the luxury tax like that's that's we've essentially seen the rockets come apart at the seams because Tillman Fertitta won't pay the luxury tax right like We've seen them just dismantle their roster because of that exact thing. And that is something that's always going to be fascinating is, you know, whether or not your billionaire owner or billionaire ownership group is willing to to pay the luxury tax. So I think there's a lot of interesting things there. We'll see how it all plays out. Um, but that's probably not the most important thing right now. But I, since we were there, I wanted to go to all of that because I think that's a really interesting way to kind of paint this entire offseason and think about this offseason. But I want to talk about, we talked about the scenario stretching lure, not stretching lure. In the scenario where stretching lure is, is a thing, um, a really big story in the NBA over the last couple days, I guess last week or so, is the Anthony Davis trade. And in the Anthony Davis trade, there's essentially three scenarios for the Lakers. One of them gives them 23.2 million uh, in, or let's just say 23 million. One gives them 23 million in cap space. One gives them 27 million in cap space, and one gives them 30, 30, 31 uh, million in cap space. And how they get to those different places is based on the sequencing of the deal. And it it sounds like, and again, we only kind of know from who wants to tell us certain details, it essentially sounds like Rob Polinka wasn't thinking about the sequencing of this deal, wasn't thinking about how all of this might work out, and wasn't thinking about how to get this deal done and insist on getting this deal done in a way that could help him get the most cap space possible. And this could play out over a month. So if it happens on July 6th, if it happens on July 30th, that's one part of it. If Anthony Davis accepts his trade kicker, if he doesn't, that's another part of it. And these details all seem very minute, but they're very important. And that's going to be a month-long thing. The Bucks, if they stretch lure, <laughs> and with all of the other uh, you know, balls there juggling in the air for free agency, there could be like, four decisions that need to occur in 48 hours if this goes a certain way. And why that could occur is free agency gets to start on June 30th at 6 p.m. The league year does not begin until July 6th. So the moratorium does not end until then. So you, you can't start making deals official until July 6th. So if I'm a team that wants to sign Malcolm Brogdon... I can talk with Malcolm Brogdon starting on June 30th. I could even agree to terms with Malcolm Brogdon on June 30th. But the Bucks' 48 hours to match that deal, does not start until July 6th. So starting on July 6th, the Bucks will have 48 hours to figure out if they want to match that deal. In that time, the lure trade will also become official. And then that is the moment where they'll have to figure out do we want to stretch lure or not? If we want to stretch lure, that's where you're going to get your 18 million. And then you have 48 hours to sign Brooke Lopez, sign your other role player into that, that little area that you have and set yourself up for the rest of the summer before matching the offer for Malcolm Brogdon 48 hours later. That's an insanely small amount of time to get all of this business done and that's why all of these very small minute details um which are really difficult to follow and which uh, i mean most of the time i just lean on frank and ask him to bail me out like all of those things matter and the bucks are about to if they go down the road of stretch and john lure enter a spot where it gets really interesting really quickly
1: yeah i mean the big the big forcing mechanism that i mean you highlighted is is the scenario where Brogdon signs an offer sheet, you know, during the moratorium. So he can sign a, an offer sheet, but as you said, it doesn't, the, the, the 48 hour period in which the bucks have, can decide whether or not they match doesn't start until July 6th. So, um, you at least have a small window, you know, basically you have like a week from July 1st to sort of figure out like what, you know, a little more than a week to to figure out like what you're, what you're actually going to do if, if a guy's like about to sign an offer sheet. Now, obviously if you, you know, if, if Brogdon ends up sitting there and doesn't have an offer and hasn't figured something out, then, you know, you do what you're going to do and it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Or if you agree on a deal with, with Malcolm, then you control when the deal actually gets signed. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people who listen know that, uh, you know, guys who have cap holds that are less than the amount that they're ultimately going to sign for. Those are generally, you know, the, the bird free agents, they get signed last so that you could, use your cap space first, right? So when you think about the sequencing, Chris's cap holds 19 million, 19 and a half million. Malcolm's is only 3 million. So those guys, you know, essentially you keep those cap holds as placeholders, make all your signings again to, to do any of these sort of cap space scenarios, you'd have to renounce Miritich. Um, You know, you do all that stuff. You sign Brooke um, because Brooke's, you know, going to be signed with cap space. If you have that extra bit of cap space, you know, you, and you know, again, if, if you have 5 million in additional cap space beyond Brook, and you have the mid mid-level exception, they're both worth about the same. Guess what? You're going to use your cap space because that's going to disappear once you make all these other moves essentially. So the room mid-level will, you'll still have. So, um, so essentially, yeah, you have potentially a tight window that said it's really kind of largely driven by Brogdon and the fact that, you know, if you don't have a good negotiation with him, then he can go out and find an offer sheet. And, you know, at that point, you know, kind of put the barrel of the gun to, to, to your head to go finish your business. Um, or, uh, again, you're either going to, you know, sign him. And then at that point, his number be- goes against your cap. In, in which case, you know, if Brogdon signs for any real amount of money, all of the bucks caps space, then at that point, you know, if they haven't used it right, would, would be gone. So they'd have to make sure they sign Lopez before that happens. Um, or um or obviously uh if they don't match an offer sheet, then you can keep that cap <laughs> you can keep that cap space as well. In fact, you'd get about three million more uh if you had cap space at the point that Brogdon uh, if you didn't match an offer sheet since Brogdon has a three million dollar hold. So, you know, again, like I I don't think the Bucks want that scenario to happen. I think they would rather keep Malcolm Brogdon. Um but we'll see, you know, we'll see what his market looks like. I think he's the biggest X factor in terms of what he ultimately may sign for, and um, that's precisely because you know we don't know if if that restricted free agent status is going to maybe dissuade some teams from going after him, or you know maybe team strikes out and then they end up do throwing him a big offer sheet to really test whether the Bucks you know really really are committed to him. Whew!
0: It's going to be a fascinating couple of weeks, and the Bucks got us going a day earlier than we thought. Uh, I thought we are going to have to wait until Thursday for some news with the draft. Uh, And uh, we were predicting a draft night trade. Um, And that's how we would have ended tonight's podcast with making a prediction and likely telling you that they were going to trade the 30th to someone. We wouldn't have known who, but uh, instead we, we break down a, a Tony Snell trade and a trade of the 30th pick and how it impacts the bucks going forward. So uh, that is going to be it for us for tonight. Uh, we'll try to figure out what we're going to do tomorrow. I'm curious what I'm going to do tomorrow uh, as I hang out in the bucks practice facility uh, during the NBA draft. Um, while uh, you know, nothing. Well, I'm, not, I'm going to say nothing's going on. Obviously John Horace is going to be making calls and probably trying to find a way into the second round or, you know, take other trade calls, but um, I won't, you know, be privy to those conversations. So, you know, I'll just be, just be hanging out at the Bucks practice facility. So uh, we'll see what we end up doing tomorrow night. But by Uh, the way, one, one other thing we haven't talked about, I'm, you know, Tony Snell, obviously his contract is an issue,
1: but I am sad to see Tony Snell, the person go. I mean, I was not in the locker rooms the way you were, obviously. Um, But mm -hmm. just as a fan of the Bucks, I mean, Tony was a guy who was really well liked, you know, really quiet guy. Um, You know, we'll always have the Tony Snell play with Giannis. I will, you know, Always wish that somebody else could figure out how to have that chemistry on that play, <laughs> the way those guys had it. Um, you know, he's definitely a guy that I think when you talk about what the Bucks, you know, from a strengths perspective, were about culturally, um, it seems like he was a guy who was he was definitely a real part of that. You know, he was a guy that I think is going to be missed. Um, definitely a little bit different from kind of your typical NBA player. Uh, I don't know if he ever got an iPhone. He was always uh, getting. I think hassled for having the green bubble when he uh <laughs> yeah. when he was in the uh, group text uh rather than the blue bubble i i messaged <laughs> things so. uh but but a, a really quiet but um i think guy who is well liked and you know i think hopefully hopefully when he returns next year i mean i, I think the good i mean i think this is a really good move for the Detroit Pistons i mean they get a second round pick for a guy that actually fills a need for them for a guy that you know and lure who wasn't really going to play so they desperately
0: needed a shooter every They're, time you watched yeah, the great. pistons it was like they don't have anyone that can shoot. Tony Snell can shoot.
1: Yeah. Yeah, really nice, you know, piece of business for them. So um, shout out to Tony Snell. And, um, you know, he was a guy that uh, ended up being, uh, you know, to, to think that from where Michael Carter Williams was and salvaging <laughs> that uh, experience by getting Tony, who a guy who obviously I think contributed uh, the last couple of years, obviously, you know, the fact that, you know, he ultimately was a guy that whose contract – precluded him from sticking around obviously is disappointing but um you know definitely want to acknowledge that because obviously we you know especially i i tend to always sort of shift into contract you know cap management mode but you know ultimately all these guys are people and especially with tony i think you know he was somebody that uh, that was really appreciated by by the team and the players and and hopefully uh, by fans as
0: well i would go a step further tony snell was adored in that box locker room um Obviously, like you said, a bit of a quiet guy. Um, But as I've detailed on this podcast and I think other places before, no one was louder in the gym as practices wrapped up and they did shooting drills than Tony Snell. That was the loudest voice every single day, just yelling at Brooke, his teammate, uh, in the shooting drills that they always do, uh, talking junk to Pat Connaughton, Whatever it may be, like everyone on that team loved him just because, you know, he was always there for them. And I mean that both uh emotionally and literally as the guy that sprinted all over the floor to pick everyone up. Uh that was that was Tony Snow. So uh that one it, I, I would agree with you. Uh that's that's uh again, not a not a vocal leader, but certainly someone in the locker room that everyone uh, just loved So, uh, it's going to be interesting to, uh, to see where, where we go from there. So, um, all right, that's going to be it for us for tonight for Frank men. I'm Eric name. This has been locked on bucks. I'm sure we'll have some more for you in the coming days.